Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 192, and I sat down in Los Angeles with Barbara Moss. She's a fascinating lady uh, who has lived quite a life. Uh, I met her through her son, actually, and uh, he said, oh, you know, my mom hung out with the Rajneesh. You know Osho? I said, what? You mean the guy from Wild Wild Country documentary? And Josh said, yep, that's the one. And I said, well, definitely I want to talk to her. So we arranged all that, and she was kind enough while she was in town visiting Josh to come on over and sit down and have the conversation. So very cool. Uh, I just got back from a trip, and my best friend got us, Ellen, who I talk about all the time on the show, she got us tickets to Hamilton, and it was extraordinary. I went in not, I mean, I knew what it was about, obviously. I knew it was about Alexander Hamilton, but I didn't know the gist of it. I hadn't listened to any of the songs. Um, I definitely went in blind, which is what I wanted. And wow, 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 wow. It is extraordinary. Truly, truly extraordinary. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I also had a chance to see Parasite this last week and also fantastic film. Wow just crazy. There's a bunch of films that I need to hurry up and see before uh, everyone is talking about them. I'm I'm pretty good at avoiding spoilers and such, but I have a feeling I'm running out of time to see the movies I want to without knowing anything about them. So that is on my agenda as well. Okay, let's see. What are the usual things? Social media. Hey Human Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook. Susan Ruthism for uh, me, if you want, just my personal social stuff is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to know about my music or my artwork, you can go to susanruth.com. Email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. If you go there to the Hey Human website, you'll find a links page where I curate every episode with its own set of links. Definitely check that out. Lots of good information. And what else? I feel like... I always forget something. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes and anywhere really that you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for doing that. It really helps a lot to get the show rated and reviewed. It, you know, does things to the algorithm and our world is based on algorithms at this point. So definitely if you get a chance, please do that. Uh, What else? If you wish to donate to Hey Human, please do so on the donate button on heyhumanpodcast.com. I think that is pretty much it. And thanks for listening, everybody. Here we go. Barbara Moss, welcome to Hey Human. Well, thank you. It's really a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Your son and I are in a writing group together, Mm -hmm. and somebody in the group brought up the podcast and... Josh turned to me and said, oh, you know who you should talk to? You should talk to my mom. And I said, <laughs> why? What, what's her story? And he began to unfold you. And I thought, wow, that is a great story. And then he emailed me later and said, and ask her about this, this, and this. So I'm, I'm really excited <laughs> that, that you're here. Thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's go back a little bit. Where are you from? Originally from Lower East Side of Manhattan. Oh, okay. On 2nd Avenue, 3rd Street. New York Strong. Right after World War II, um, many people from elsewhere came mm. to settle mm-hmm. in that area. My 
grandparents were immigrants from the pogroms of the early 1900s. My parents grew up in Lower East Side, and it was a village. I was in the East Village. We did not call it Alphabet City. We just called it where we lived. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so what year would that be then? Uh, well, I left uh, New York uh, early after Joshua's dad got his doctorate, and we went to the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, where I had spent some time in my teens and loved it, and we were lucky enough to have transferred to Charlottesville. Had you gone to school in New York? I went to Queens and transferred to the University of Virginia. And what did you study? I was in the first female class of women allowed into the University of Virginia. Whoa! Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, That's it was cool. all boys, and it was a state school. So you and how many women? Well, when I was there, I was young, but I was already married. He was a faculty member, so I had the best of both worlds. Sure. I was an undergraduate getting a fabulous education at UVA. And uh, being a faculty wife as well. so I What did you study? I was in elementary education with a minor in um, black literature, which was odd because it was the very beginnings. M Manhattan's are very, and Queens were very, uh, you know, diverse at the time. Yeah. So, so it, it, it hadn't been put into I never heard of Br'er Rabbit, and I got to do a whole course just in Br'er Rabbit. <laughs> so you were raised in a really uh, open, liberal I, Jewish family? Well, I sort of. Okay. There was a lot of orthodoxy and oh. Romanian orthodox. Uh, yeah, in Were there. Were you bought mitzvah and all that? Uh, no, because uh, at that time, uh, we, girls were not so my cousin, we all went to the yeshiva after school for Hebrew lessons, and when I was 10, I turned to my mother and said, if I'm not getting the party, I'm not going to continue to do this. Amen, so, sister. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as my, grand, my father's parents were Orthodox, as soon as they died, it was, it was Chinese food. People chilled out a little bit. Well, we left. Yeah. You know, it just didn't happen. The, yeah. the, the whole culture changed in the sure. 60s. Yeah. Interesting. So, wow, it's really fascinating that you studied black literature. I love that because I think, well. you know, I mean, because I think people are, especially when they're grown, growing up in, it's my father uh, grew up in the Bronx, mm -hmm. uh, Jewish, yeah. Russian, Polish Jew in the Bronx. And, you know, it, it was, even though it might have been diverse, there were still pockets, you know, mm -hmm. everybody's tribe was where they were. That's and, true. We and, were tribes. Yeah. But and so to have an understanding outside of yourself, I think is really cool. And to want to have Well, I have to, I have to uh, go back and just say on my mother's side of the family, they were all very, 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 very lefty. Hmm. Okay. Like socialist lefty? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah. yeah. I remember as a little girl, when the Rosenbergs were going up for being annihilated, uh, my parents were locking the doors. My uncle was in the Communist Party in the 1930s. I mean, people were frightened. Sure. The blacklisting. The McCarthy, people, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. I was very young, five, six years old, but I remember the hush and the uh Did people fear. ever come to your door that you No, recall? no, no. Mm -hmm. My, But... You know, our extended family. I mean, they were just liberals. Yeah. But today, nobody would notice. Nobody would care. Yeah. Now they're running for president. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> not. Oh, yeah. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Uh, you're in 
Charlottesville mm-hmm. and growing wonderful, up. wonderful, uh, wonderful town mm-hmm. with wonderful people, wonderful university. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw the uh, Charlottesville uh, horror happen a couple of years ago, it was about five blocks from where my house was. Because mm-hmm. Josh was born in Charlottesville. Yeah. I had a life there. And, and uh, passing the uh, Lee statue every day when I went to work, I was in radio, and the radio station was downtown before they even built them all. And um, no one ever noticed that statue. No one even knew who it was. Just a piece of sculpture in the park. And uh, then I saw what was going on there, and I said, wow, something crazy is going on here in the world. Because nobody even knew who Charlotte's, what Charlottesville was at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I came to Boston to interview at RK Radio, and they saw my resume, it said UVA, they said, how did you like Vermont? <laughs> <laughs> That's how, yeah. at that time, it was, you know, so, yeah. What did you do in radio? I had a sh- talk show. Ah, really? And, yeah. What was the talk show? It was uh, just public affairs once a week, called Contact, and I'd interview people. Kind like you like do with me. Hmm? I love it. Yeah, and I sold radio airtime and wrote copy and spliced um tapes for commercials I learned to do you'd learn to do it all in a thousand watt station mm-hmm. and I loved it any uh, interviews that you had that particularly still stand out yeah a couple now that I recall I interviewed the great 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 grandson of Thomas Jefferson hmm. um, Robert Cole who went around uh, during the bicentennial and he dressed up as Thomas Jefferson. He looked exactly like Thomas Jefferson. Tall, red hair, nice guy. Um, and uh, he would do these uh, stand-up theater things. You ask Thomas Jefferson a question, and he would, you know, That's very reenact cool. it. That was odd. And Kreskin, the amazing Kreskin, who was a magician. I was also a magician with my with Joshua's dad. And so I had the ability to connect with... Uh, theater people who came to town, magicians who came to town to entertain. And the amazing Kreskin was this amazing mentalist who'd get up on a stage in front of an entire stadium of filled people and uh, memorize everybody's <laughs> name and do hypnosis and do all that kind of stuff. He That's was an amazing really cool. guy. What was your, <clears throat> excuse me, what was your specialty in magic? Was it close-up or illusion or... Uh, Close-up or what? Close-up magic, illusion magic. Oh, illusion both. Mental, oh. We had doves. We did stage magic. And um, I, I think my first husband, Larry, may he rest in peace, married me because I could fit in a box. I'm only <laughs> five foot one. Yes, yeah. you are t- I'm giant, though, so yeah. to me, a lot of people oh, are he tiny. could fold you in. <laughs> He'd fig- he would have figured it out. I'm pretty bendy, but yeah. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I think I was a natural-born entertainer anyway, mm. so uh, we were attracted to that. When we went to Virginia, he was concerned that as a magician on the side, and he was very good with close-up magic, he could easily have done the Magic Castle. He, I think he belonged to it for a while, but he never entertained there. Um, he, you know, he was better on the stage than he was in person. <laughs> uh, enigmatic on stage. You know, a lot of a lot yeah, of performers are better that way. Normal. Yeah, but me, I just loved it. So I ran the business for a while, and we did. Chil- I did children's magic and the balloon animals and That's comedy. Really it was great. Yeah, did that for ten years. I love that. 
Uh, how long were you? Did you live in? I'm assuming Charlottesville. Did you came to uh, LA after that. Then Was no, that? I don't live in LA. I live in Boston. Oh, you live in Boston. Yes, I'm just here for the week. Oh, how lovely! Even more so grand. that you're here. Thank you. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why. I, for some reason. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, I moved to Boston with him. Uh, he, uh, with Larry and Josh was little. He became a um, professor oh, at see. a university in what Boston. What did he teach? Economics. Oh, wow. So I suggested to him, given my elementary school teacher background, I suggested him one day, why don't you use the cards for probability theory? Because, ah, uh, substatistic classes are so boring. And he did. And uh, he became very popular as a professor. Using uh, card tricks as there was, probability. There was a movie about a uh, economics professor starring Kevin Spacey. Yeah, that, not, that, yeah. where the, he used no. that to, to talk about theory and game mm-hmm. theory and all that yeah. stuff. It was pretty fascinating. Hmm. Um, not the same person, obviously, but yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think I, I did not see the movie, but I know of the movie. Yeah, well, I did not see it either. Something to be said for that. <laughs> <laughs> What what started to draw you toward? Um, I don't want to give it away yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay. Okay. yeah, well, yeah. How old were you when you started to learn about Rajneesh? Well, it's interesting. I was living in Boston, and my neighbor across the street I became very friendly with, and her husband was the head of Polaroid. Have you ever heard of Polaroid? Of course. Okay. Well, you know, nowadays <laughs> things have changed. He, Shelley, Shelley Buckler was the, uh, I think, the executive vice president of Polaroid, and he was a neighbor and friend. And uh, he handed me a book one day when he saw it was struggling with um, just being in my 30s, early 30s, and uh, not knowing where I was going next. And he said, read this book. So he handed me this book written by Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, and uh, he was a philosopher in India, and he had a little following. And when I read the book, yeah, yeah. I was I found it profound, and I had uh, never read anything so amazingly profound in terms of how he saw life, hmm. and it spoke to me somehow at the time. And uh, so, yeah, I was the head of Polaroid, one of the heads of Polaroid who gave me the book on Bhagwan. And so then he said, I think there's a, some kind of an ashram or something in Essex, which is about an hour north of Boston. You should go up there and visit. So I did. And it was a guy who had built this magnificent house, and he was also involved with Bhagwan, and he would bring people from all over the world to come. And so I had a local ashram I could go to and uh, do workshops there, and it attracted me. Um, Was your husband also getting involved? We were no longer married. Oh, okay. He thought there was something wrong with me. Oh, how so? He worried because it it appeared that this was a cult. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, it's interesting, there are people who go into cults, and they lose themselves, you know. That wasn't going to be me. I, st- I, I, I was selling, at that time, I left radio and I was selling uh, life insurance at John Hancock. I had a son, you know, to take care of, and I was interested in theater, and I was doing auditions and plays at night in Boston and for community theater and such, and Selling life insurance gave me that flexibility because when you're in sales, you can do that. And, and then I would go on weekends to the ashram and I would do workshops. 
What was some of the things at first that drew you in? You said it resonated with you, but how- the bottom the bottom line about. I think, and I was just talking to a friend of mine on the phone who never quite went as far as I did into it, but came along for the ride. Um, It was about letting go of your caca that you hold on to and uh, freeing yourself up for being present in the world. And nowadays they have it on an app, right? You can get an app for being present in the world, but Bhagwan really saw that people needed to let go. And what year was this? It, well, for me, he came to America, I believe, in 1981. And I was on my way to Pune, where he had an ashram. But um, he came to America, and he set up in Oregon. The, the thing about who was attracted to Bhagwan that I experienced, and originally at the beginning of it in the early 80s, people who had PhDs, heads of corporations, company you know, people, uh, people who were searching. Mm. Seekers and curiosity. Seekers, seekers mm. who really, you know, were interested in knowing more about where life is going. And so people came from all over the world. Japan and Germany, a lot of German people were very interested in this because the culture is somewhat rigid. And this was Bhagwan's um, go-ahead was to let go of that rigidity and be in the true self of who you are. And at that time, there was a lot of actualization. You had Werner Erhard and Est. You know, you had Lifespring. You had all sorts of actual people who were searching. Mm. Was Antelope the location of the that was starting to build that town? Is yes. That, oh, okay. Yes. So that is it. Yes. Right. We went there when it was just tents, when they hadn't even built the actual buildings. We went there the first summer. Mm. A whole group of us. And it was pretty fascinating. Um, Did Did you ever kibbutz? Did I ever go to a kibbutz in Israel? Yeah. No, but I had, when I was very young, been interested in in, in that. Because it seems like My parents were poor. I couldn't afford to go to a kibbutz in Israel when I was in high school or college. Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out how I was going to make it in Mm -hmm. the world Mm -hmm. in general. And... um, So, yeah, but it had a... It had... It did have a kibbutz feel to it. You... Found a lot of Israelis there, who, but you, they were from all over the world, all over the world, and a lot of them had a lot of money. A lot of them had no money, so the, there was no. Um, it didn't have to do with that. But then there was this woman Sheila that you saw, and she started to run him, and really take tremendous control and market him. Did you all, as followers, for lack of a better word, did you see that? I saw it. And how did that feel? To me? Mm. When I was out there, uh, it was pretty... The, the the experience was overwhelming and amazing. Of course, whenever you're in a group thing, you get caught in it. But I... I guess, I don't know how I was born. I was not somebody who, I loved it, I enjoyed it, but I was never going to lose myself. Around you, though, people, people there were, were people, starting to lose they, themselves. They were giving up money. I mean, they were giving away. I, that, to me, that was nuts. I grew up on Lower East Side in New York. Were you crazy? Did anyone I have mean, issues with you thinking it was oh, nuts? Oh, no, no. Nobody said a no, no, word. No, okay. no, no. People didn't judge you. Mm. Uh, well, what they judged was your inability to let go. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I said, look, I'm willing to let go to a point. 
<laughs> then there's a point, no. And the let go for me was I knew who I was and I wasn't going down a deep, dark hole. I was responsible. Was there a lot of the free love movement happening within this ashram? Free love movement started long oh, before sure. Bhagwan. Actually, oh, no. when Absolutely. we went, yeah. that was not. most. You had couples. There's you, all these rumors of floating well, around. Well, there you know. was Tantra, and Tantra is a sexual... Um, Awakening, And he did espouse to the fact that if you are a sexual human being and it's getting in your way because that's all you think about, get it out so that you can move on and be the productive person you are. That was kind of the mm -hmm. bottom line of it. So there were, there were tantra groups and they were run by high-end professionals, very, very um, skilled uh, skilled in sex yeah. or skilled, skilled in, their, in whatever they're doing. It's not about sex. Uh, yeah, I got it. But when you said hot, you, you go, you go into these groups yeah. and you see, you know, people want to sensationalize. Mm -hmm. My experience of it was, um, it wasn't about that. It was about freedom, f letting go of the yeah. pain, the um, boo boos of your childhood. Well, sure, because people have sex for all sorts of reasons. Well, Very seldom is it about sex. That's correct. And so, you know, that <laughs> wasn't communion. it. Wasn't my thing. I I did other workshops for letting go, and as a result of it, I became a certified hypnotherapist within the well. Community? The the no, the community gave me the wherewithal to clear where I was when I was selling life insurance for eight years at John Hancock, I felt as though I had lost my soul. <laughs> because it just wasn't for me. That doesn't mean it's not okay. And no one understood in, in, within the organization why I wasn't being successful. And it was because it was just not my soul. My soul was to be either a performer or to help people and make a difference in the world. And so when I was sitting with my therapist one day and feeling this, she was also a Bhagwan follower and a brilliant therapist, I said to her, I feel as though I'm, my soul is dying. And she said, you, I said, you know, I could do what you do. And she said, yes, you can. So I hung up a shingle <laughs> and I left John Hancock. Hmm. Brave. Yeah, it was very brave. When I called my mother to tell her, she said, What? You need a therapist. You're going to be a therapist? How can you be a therapist? I said, Well, I'm a coach. And I had enough training from the Bhagwan uh, workshops that I did that gave me, I don't know, the kind of training, whatever they're given out in schools, they should have taken a look at what was going on because it really worked for a lot of people. As Sheila came in, did things start to change then? As she Sheila was always there, but she, I don't know what her deal was. I, You know, at the time, she was young, beautiful. I think she she, uh, she had strong control over Bhagwan. He was basically a naive guy. I don't think he ever had champagne except on the plane when he was coming over to America. And I'm not saying that it, it was okay with him. I mean, that, that it was okay with me that it, he let all of this happen, but uh, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, and I can't say. But for me, I remember being in Oregon and watching, and they had Uzi guns on mountains, okay, to protect the people that were in the compound. And I said to my friends, you know what? That is not what I'm here for. And eight, nine days later, I took 
I did take a tour down the Columbia River in a raft and enjoyed myself out there. It was really lovely. It's beautiful country. And I said to my friends, when we, when we leave, I'm out of here. This is not for me. This is not okay with me. That's not what I'm, this is not it. Was there any pushback from that? To you? From my friends? Or um, anyone around really. you? No, they, they were all really smart. Many of them Harvard PhDs and had their own. What was the day-to-day like in, when you were there? And how, how long were you there for? Only 10 days. 10 days. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what was oh. <laughs> What was that 10 days like? Wow, it's a party, man. I remember, I remember there was a, you'd go into the big tent where everybody would come and sit, right? And, and, and Bogdan would give a talk. And it would sometimes he would just sit and think. He must have been. I maybe he was on drugs. What do I know? I don't know. I never. And then he would come with the Rolls. The Rolls Royces were a very interesting thing. I still have photos of those. Where he would have all the Rolls Royces come down, and everybody would line up and see what he was saying is, look at the opulence. Look at your attachment. See, he would keep buying these Rolls Royces. Like, he couldn't care less about the Rolls Royces. It was the, um, it triggered you. At least it triggered me. And it triggered a lot of people. So you could go one way or the other with it. You could say, oh, this is horrible. And I was saying, yeah, look at the opulence of who we are as people. So for me, I, I, you know, I took it in a, a, a philosophical way, and I don't really know because I didn't know the hundreds of other thousands. I've met some wonderful people, but what about the idea that people were giving? Sorry, that's oh, is that your watch? Yeah. Fancy watch. Uh, the idea that people were giving gobs and gobs of money, their life savings, to this community. I yeah, I thought that was insane. Yeah, it's so interesting to me that people. I didn't get that. But people need to give up. Did you, you, see? you did you have friends that were willing to do that? I knew of one particular who was the uh, inheritor of a vast corporation whose name I'd rather not mention That's here. Right. Yeah. Uh, of a very big corporation who was an, an inheritor. And, and uh, yeah, they gave up I money. heard. I heard that that person gave away the inheritance. And I gasped. <laughs> What are you nuts? <laughs> but on the other hand, you got you know everybody has to let go, and however they let go in their lives, and I couldn't judge sure. that other than say that wouldn't have been me. And for that person, it may have felt like an anchor. It, it may have felt like, like tremendous freedom. I think I hear a lot of very wealthy people mm-hmm. have a lot of uh, crap they got to deal with in yeah. a way that uh, us smaller people only have small crap. Sure, in the papers right now, it's all about. Uh, Harry and and Meghan Markle and like how, who cares? Well, I'm just saying that they they're going to step away from yeah, the, and because you know it's probably it may be a golden albatross, but it's still an albatross. And I think for a lot of people, it probably does feel like far more of a burden. But for the people like us, you know, the peasants who don't have that massive amount of wealth, it's hard to wrap our brains around the idea of somebody willing to give it all up. They're not giving it all up. Are you kidding? Yeah, I, I'm they're saying just moving their house. I know, I get it. I, Are you they're, kidding? They're just, they're just an example. I'm, I'm talking about on the grander scale. The, to, to look at somebody who, like your friend who said, take the inheritance, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. For somebody like me to go, Are you insane? Because you could do so much, I could do so much with that. But for them, it just feels like an anchor around their neck. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Sure. The, did you see the documentary, Wild Wild yes, Country? Yes, I did. I didn't want to. And both Joshua and my daughter Aisha both said Ooh, you have. Pretty name. 
Yeah. You have to see it. You have to see it. You have to see it. I don't want to see it. So finally I sat down and I saw it. And what'd you think? Yeah. Yeah, some of it was good. What parts? I'm a critic of movies, so yeah. no one wants to go to the movies with me. Cause Did anything stick out as being... Uh, over the top uh, sensationalized or did you think they pretty much got it? They didn't cover enough. Mm. They didn't cover some very important points. They, they only, the they only found a couple of people they could interview. Mm. And they, they were much more prominent and uh, intellectual people they could have interviewed for that. Uh, they just had a few, including Sheila, you know, who was... I don't think she took enough responsibility for her actions, but she did pay for it in some way. Uh, uh, I, I have an intuition. I look at things perhaps in a different way. So when I was out there and I saw what I saw, I said, absolutely not. This is not. Were you around during the poisoning era? No. No. That came later. I, yeah. But, I mean, that's craziness. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, they were looking to take over town. How arrogant. Disgusting. And I would say that most of the people who were attracted to Bhagwan uh, certainly did not. That was just a couple of crazy people. And then they were caught in, I don't know what they were caught in, but I know what I was not caught in. Do you have any specific of uh, the 10 days that you were there, something that really stands Yeah, out? the cherries. After they were doing banquets that were, I don't know how they were shipping in all this food for all these people. And I was just, I left the uh, Buddha Hall and I was just walking around outside by myself. And I never saw so many fresh cherries in my life. In massive bowls, a long, 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 long corridor of tables. And I went, wow, <laughs> abundance in a way, I love cherries, in a way that I'd never seen before. And it was beautiful outside, and there was a softness inside Buddha Hall, and people were quiet and, and gentle, and there was a feeling of uh, real peace amongst massive, massive people. And people really helped each other. Uh, it was, you know, it was like, um, it was the 60s only with more fun because you weren't drugged. Because mm -hmm. there were no drugs. Really? Yep. That surprises me. Yep. You had to check your drugs at the, and then they put a band on you because at the time, which was the early 80s, Bhagwan was already aware of AIDS. And so he... The, the word, when you went to your room or your tent, there was a, a list. And on the list, it told you if you were going to have sex with a partner, you don't know what to do. And they gave you condoms. I mean, I was with my boyfriend at the time, so that was an issue for me. They are in the ashram or just Yeah, in when we were at Oregon. Uh, okay, yeah. And uh, so he was already pressing for there's this strange uh, disease coming up to be careful and to be aware, very aware. Mm. And awareness was part of what this was all about. So if you were to bottom line it, why people were attracted, is basically he's saying, let go of your shit and be present in the world. And do the passion that feels right to you in the world. And so they designed these amazing meditations. One of them was where you just 
danced and jumped up and down for an hour and a half going who, who, who. And these were workshops I did when I was in Boston, outside of Boston. So none of it was, I didn't go to the Pune or India or any of that for it. So it was brought to me pretty much. And, um, you know, you'd be in a room with people dancing, rock and roll dancing, and it went on. And then you, when you were spent from all the dancing, you'd collapse onto the carpet in this beautiful large room with other people. And then the, the facilitator would uh, say, you know, so how's everybody doing? And then whatever would come up for people, you know, their pain, pain, their love, their loss, would show up because once you're drained of it. And that was, I think, the thing that attracted me to let go of the boo-boos of whatever it is you're born with, let alone the history, the memories, the loss. My grandparents had to flee pogroms in 1902. That's a history that carries for generations. I agree. You know, no one even has to talk about it and you mm -hmm. still carry it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's what... Um, Did those 10 days release a lot of that stuff for you? No, no. But Most of it was in the workshops practice? in Boston. So it became a practice after the fact. No, no, I was already in it. No, when no, I went but to I mean, Arden. but after the fact, because you, you seem like you're very grounded. And I'm 110 years old now. <laughs> if I'm not grounded by now with all the workshops, I've, I'm not grounded. I mean, but grounded. Yes, when you're practice. older, you become. I'm not. Pr it's not a practice. It's not. No, this is not yoga. You don't get up in the morning and stretch your arms. Mm. It's not a practice. Once you get it, it's 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 just you. If until the next time shit happens in your life and you hope you can handle it. This is not a practice. This was no practice. It's very interesting cuz Did I, people tell you Bhagwan's a practice? People refer no. to that sort of philosophy as, you know, the practice of mindfulness, the practice Well, of the being, practice the of practice. mindfulness, whatever that means. And what does that mean, the practice of, we practice mindfulness? I, I think the idea is the word <laughs> practice means we never really quite get it right anyway. You know, it's that sort well, of... Well, that's negative. I, exactly. I was just What's gonna, right? I was just going to say it's sort of their answer to original sin, perhaps, that you're born. I don't know. People bring their shit to the program, mm. and everybody brings in their opinion, and their history, and where they're from, and then they label it. Mm. So become for in a practice? I don't know. I, I never saw it as a practice. I just saw it as I, you're a seeker. You're looking to let go of. You don't even know when you're in it. You, you, it attracts you because there's something that feels right for you, and for, at least for me. And at that time, I needed that kind of healing. I had had various losses, divorce, and loss of other pieces. I'd rather not discuss. And and um. You know, you go with meeting people. It's basically about people, not a practice. Mm -hmm. It's about people who are willing to accept you for who you are. I remember once going up to Essex when Josh was little, and there was a piano in one of the hallways. And one of the guys taught him how to play uh, a piece of music. He was maybe eight, nine years old. And... Um, the guy said to me, you know, this kid's good at music, and uh, you should get him a piano. And so I did. And uh, so he, and, you know, there was, it, 
There was community. That's another thing. Uh, we are so lost without community in our lives. And I had come from a community as a child on Lower East Side. My aunts, my uncles, my cousins, they were always around me. I don't remember my parents <laughs> because everybody was always there. It was community. And you feel safe in that of like-minded people. And so when you don't have it, and you're, it's lost to you because I moved and wound up in a city that I had nobody, no friends, nothing, and just my son and then getting divorced. Uh, what, what do you do? Where do you go? It's, I searched for Jewish community. I sort of found one of those. And he was interested in Bhagwan too. So it looked like Bhagwan the rabbi. Was, it was a nutty time. The 80s were a nutty time. But it was about looking for community and connection. And I'm one of those people who looks for community and connection. I don't like being alone. Hmm. I don't think people should be alone. Now people are very alone on their phones all the time. That's how they learn how to shut down and, and take care of their stress. I do it. I play words with friends, you know. And um, that's pretty much what Bagwan was offering on a certain level. Commute fun. There was so much fun and creativity, and uh, composers would come and compose amazing music, and uh, professional musicians would come to to find their creativity again. And, you know, the meditation thing, uh, one of the things that I always remembered in Bhagwan's philosophy was meditation could be anything. It's not just sitting in one place. And I always tried sitting and doing and breathing the meditation thing. It never worked for me. It just never worked for me. And he said, tennis can be your meditation. Well, for me, it was swimming. And, he, and what you got from the, the big kahuna was, it's okay. So there was no, it's okay if you want to do swimming as your meditation. It's okay if you're jogging as your meditation. Call it your meditation. It doesn't have to be just sitting and going, um. Right. Having a meal is a meditation. I for me, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Too much I, so. I very much believe that, uh, all of that you just said. I think that we. We try so hard to compartmentalize for some weird reason, and it's okay to look at it all as the whole instead of... If you can be present, and mm -hmm. that was the piece with Bhagwan, to be present. And so if you're going to be in it, be in it fully. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, be fully in it. And then the belief was, I, as I recall it, is when you're finally fully in, even if it's a negative fully in it for yourself, if you're fully in it, then you can let go of it mm. and not be attached. I think that is huge. In fact, I find that more powerful than the being in the good stuff. If you are able to fully be in the sadness, the anger, the whatever it is, yeah. and, and then... You can dissipate it because instead True. we shove it all down. We shove it, we shove right. it, we shove it, and mm -hmm. we maybe deal with just a tiny piece of it. Mm -hmm. Well, that huge nugget of it that's still in our mm -hmm. bellies never gets never gets fixed, and it just gets compounded. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I'm a big fan of feel but it. But that's all an old one. philosophy. Bhagwan pieced together an old philosophy, and we're in our Erhard took it to the next level in Est and then Landmark Forum, and he studied Bhagwan. Okay, went to Pune, 
I think he was with Diana Ross. And they went and 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 checked out Bhagwan. And um but it's he didn't just go say go deep with the uh the philosophy. I don't mean him particularly because so many of the clinicians, so to speak, who came from all over the world, took it in pieces and designed the workshops. It wasn't Bhagwan who designed the workshops. You know, he had people who were brilliant who designed these workshops. And so the depth isn't always about the negativity. You can go deep with the joy. Of course. And uh, sometimes that can be so helpful that the negativity doesn't have to necessarily be the place one goes to when you can experience the joy. And it's everybody's different. So... Mm -hmm. You know, that's why you do different kinds of workshops. Mm -hmm. I didn't... Um, I, I went pretty deep with it. I don't, I, I don't think um, I would be the person I am today if I hadn't had that experience. But I did ask three times. And, and asked philosophy for the listeners. I don't know what... Well, the philosophy... Uh, but what is asked for you? How about that? Oh, I don't know, because it was, it was, you go to a workshop for a weekend and they, they blow out your, um, they blow out your opinions about whatever that is and your resistance. You're resistant. People are very resistant to, to either letting go or seeing what's possible and because of pain and boo-boos and all that. And so they spend a weekend re redoing your brain. And a lot of people uh, outside, media would love to do wonders with this, you know. It looks as though it's a cult. I don't know, religion's a cult. You know, you go in, you believe a certain thing. So it, it never, but that never scared me either because I went and I did and I went, oh yeah, I feel better now. But I never left my life. I never gave up a dime. Other than to pay for the workshop, so I could figure. Actually, when I did do the landmark forum, is when I opened up my business called Speakeasy, teaching people who were shy how to speak up. Hmm. And what I did in that forum was I stood up and said, "I can't work for John Hancock anymore. It's killing me. What do you want to do?" And I said, "I'd like to help people." And I took my skill sets in theater and and magic and performance and use those skill sets to design a workshop for people who are severely shy and it was my son Josh who named it Speakeasy he was maybe 12 I love that it's yeah. a good name for it uh, what did you and do? then I became a certified hypnotherapist okay talk about that for a little bit I'm always it's fascinated nothing. by that and it is something it was just a weekend of training but I mean to explain how it works I guess is a better way to ask well that that's tough uh, what I did was I went into smoking cessation because it was the 90s mm. everyone uh, smoked in the 90s yeah okay <laughs> Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. you, in the early 90s, and a lot of the corporations were... I guess people still smoked on planes and things back then, right? Oh, everywhere. Yeah. I smoked. Uh, well, 1984, I gave up smoking. But, um, the uh, yeah. And I was hypnotized. And it worked. I walked out, and I threw away all my butts I used to collect in the car. And threw them out. Didn't know why I was throwing them out. Never touched a cigarette again. And I was acting in a play in Boston, and the character needed to smoke a cigarette. I said to my director, I can't put that cigarette in my mouth. And he said, why not? I said, because I just can't. I couldn't explain. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> and that was a few years later. How does it work? 
I'm always fascinated. It's by it. basically uh, It's it's about your brains going down to a, a different level. Your it's a, it's um, there are many levels of where you are. I'll make it simple for you. Mm. Have you ever driven on a highway? And you're thinking about something else, but you're still perfectly okay to drive, and you miss the exit. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. Or you get home, you don't know how you got there. <laughs> no, 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 no. More about you're in control, but your mind just slipped away, and you forgot to take exit 23. Mm -hmm. And then your mind comes back, and you go, oh, I missed exit 23. I'll have to turn around. So you never lose yourself in it but um, you go to another place with it, it with a good hypnotherapist not everybody can be hypnotized and why is that? <laughs> you know it's just because everyone's different yeah I don't know why yeah. uh, again I have uh, I have audios that I do that uh, on all sorts of different things mm -hmm. that I I definitely am susceptible susceptible to hypnotism yeah I am and I tried not to be. Uh, when I was in training, Dr. Bernie Siegel did a training. Uh, he was a surgeon who decided to go holistic in the early 90s and uh, took off his mask and went in and felt hypnosis was a very good uh, form for some people. It's not for everybody. And I did a workshop with him in New Jersey. And, and that night they had this guy, Santos, who was a performer hypnotist. And I decided to go up, because that's how I'm going to learn. And I decided, and I worked very, very hard. While he was up there, he had seven or eight of us sitting in chairs. I don't know if you've ever seen this kind yes. of hypnosis. You know. And then he was doing whatever that was he was doing, because performance hypnosis is not my thing. So I don't know what he was doing. And I remember saying in my brain, you cannot get hypnotized. You will not get hypnotized. You're not going to let him do this. To push myself to not be hypnotized. Not only did he hypnotize me, he turned me into Elvis Presley. And I, I, was, I was playing the guitar in front of this entire group of other therapists learning to be hypnotherapists. Yeah, so I tried to not be hypnotized, and I got hypnotized. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, for our high school graduation, they brought in a hypnotist, and they had the handful of people that were up on the stage. and then But other people in the audience also it would just fell into it, and I was one of the people in the audience that there was about 20 Which means there. you're very open and trust. Mm. And with smoking cessation, it's a tough one. I did it with uh, alcohol, cocaine, and, and weight loss. I worked for a couple of years under a psychiatrist in Boston who wanted his severely obese people to lose the weight before they could do the bariatric surgery because they couldn't get him on a gurney to do the bariatric surgery. So I, he hired me to do hypnosis for his various groups, and I did groups. And it's you implanting messages into, is that Well, it's positive thinking, mm. just like it would be in any other place, you know, only in a more meditative place. With a soothing, my voice can be very soothing. Mm -hmm. And uh, you need to relax, take a breath, and you learn about breathing. And let it go and listen to my voice. And, you know, depending on what it is, I hope I don't put you to sleep right now. <laughs> 
And I, I had, I remember I had a friend of mine, I tried to get her off cigarettes at work, and what she would do, she'd come in and just lie down on the floor and hypnotize herself. And I'd sit there and watch her, and then she'd get up and say, I'm fine now, and leave. <laughs> I had one woman who paid me the check, had her friend bring it to my door while she sat in the car and said, here's a check, I don't want to stop smoking, thanks a lot, and drove off. <laughs> I, had, I had one where uh, a supermarket chain hired me, and I go in, and I'm at a table with all these other people, and uh, one of them, one of the heads, got very angry. He stood up and he said, I'm not stopping smoking, and I said, Okay, and he left the room. And that night, I called his home to make sure he was okay. And his wife starts screaming, "What did you do?" And I said, "I didn't. I didn't do anything." She said, "But he stopped smoking. He just needed to say I don't want to leave the room, and that was the end of it." So I don't even know what the answer is, <laughs> except I've had these weird experiences of people who have been. Um, you know, most people really do want to stop, and some really can't. Usually, it's the medications that they're on, because the nicotine to the brain, the synapse in the brain opens up for oxygen. Mm -hmm. And if you're on certain types of medications, that's not opening up. And mm -hmm. what happens is when you breathe, and you're smoking a cigarette, you're opening it up. So the cigarette becomes the utensil you use to open up it's also, um, you know, habits. A lot of people, uh, they smoke, they have a cup of coffee at, at their kitchen table. So they have to change. They can't be at the kitchen table. They have to take their coffee outside for a week. I have, there, when I was a little girl, I sucked my thumb until I was 11, self-soothing. And I had a doll named Polly the Cold Dolly. She knew she had lost her clothes. I'd cut off her hair. That's a whole other story. Mm. Um, because my mom said, doesn't she have pretty hair? So I ran in the other room and cut off all her hair. <laughs> you were rebelling then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I used to suck my thumb and hold on to uh, Polly the Cold Dolly. And I, I, she was called Polly the Cold Dolly because in the summers when it would get really hot, I would put her in a plastic bag. This is so macabre. Put her in a plastic bag, stick her in the freezer, and her hard body would get cold, you know, the plastic. Right. And then I would pull her out and I would keep it to my face and it would keep me cool. And I would suck my thumb and watch TV or whatever or go to sleep. Self-soothing. Yeah, very self-soothing. And uh, years and years later, I was home from college and I was going through some boxes in the basement and I came across Polly the Cold Dolly. And it was so weird. I picked her up. I was like, oh, Polly. And as soon as I picked her up, I wanted to suck my... I was a grown woman. Right, that's but right. my brain went... It's a trigger. Down. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. so weird. I'm like, whoa, mm -hmm. that's bizarre. Right. That's why in the 1930s when you watch the old movies and he says he has a pendulum, you need that for hypnosis sometimes. I had a spinning wheel. Mm. That uh, that spun, and what you're doing, you could be focusing on a light, and it's an induction that you do, and that induction keeps you focused so that you're not distracted, so that the therapist can then work with you. Mm. So yeah, that's how it works. It's a trigger and an induction. It's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. It is, but I don't do it anymore. 
Yeah. What, what do you do these days? What's your thing? Well, I I was uh, producing and doing some assistant directing when I retired. I retired from Mount Auburn Hospital in, in Boston. I was a uh, blood donor recruiter. Saved a lot of lives Good for a lot for of you. years. Yeah. I'm a blood donor. So, oh, great. Yeah. And I did that for 13 years. Everyone go out and give blood. Very important. It is very important. It is very important. Vegetarians have a hard time doing it. Turns out meat is the conduit to iron, so they always fail the test. <laughs> to Broccoli, be, your iron doesn't matter. Mm. You pee it out. Oh. You need meat for mm. that purpose. Yeah, well, maybe that'll change. Or iron pills, but iron pills constipate people, so it's not. <laughs> yeah, but I loved my job for a long time, and um, right now I'm thinking of doing a podcast. Yay! Mm-hmm. Well, any questions you have, you let me know. Oh well, thank you. I'm happy to help. Yeah. So I thought this would be more about Bhagwan than, but turns out it's about my life, huh? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Bhagwan is fascinating, and and. I am, I am enthralled by him. Though. Why? Like you, I am a curious brain and a seeker, yeah. and humans fascinate me, and the human condition fascinates mm-hmm. me. And he, he's enigmatic, you know. Obviously, draws you in. I started reading these kinds of things when I was young, you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen years old, and thinking, hmm, there is definitely this is how I feel about things. Right. He, he, his, his writing mm-hmm. was exceptional mm-hmm. and able to reach into places. He was a philosopher, mm-hmm. you know. And it's unfortunate that uh, not, not smart, not, not, you know. Well, I, you know, the thing about it that I think we forget is that humans, I say this nearly every episode, mm-hmm. we're a mosaic. That we are, that we are not one or the other That's we are right. so many things mm-hmm. and we are flawed and we are damaged and we are happy and joyful and we are all the things and you can be a deep philosopher who has epiphanies that transcend time mm-hmm. and also be a dick <laughs> you know you can be both those things it's hard for people maybe to wrap their heads around it life is a challenge and uh, <laughs> yeah. It's very important to be able to honor it yeah, and uh, go with it as best we can. Yeah, and, I, you know, if you are an, an asshole-type personality, fine. Just don't take it on other people. Well, that's it, easy to say if you're an asshole. They don't know that. No, of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, when I go out into the world and I'm having a bad day or somebody's pissed me off mm-hmm. or, or whatever, it, it, I don't want to inflict that. Personally, I don't want to inflict that on the rest of you. You don't want to, but we do. Perhaps, yeah, in our little uh, oops, the, the, uh, water overboard, in our little no, microaggressions and things, I try very hard to be present in myself as much as humanly possible. I am flawed. I don't do it all the time, but it's something I certainly work toward mm-hmm. because it starts with me. I'm the only one I can control. So it has to start with me. It has to be me being aware of me being me. You're working hard at it. Until I don't have to work so hard. Some days I don't have to work at it at all. I just well, good luck with that because I'm old enough at this point to think that I wouldn't have to work hard at it, and I work hard at it every day because the world is a crazy place. It's also beautiful. It's beautiful, but it's a crazy place right now. It's really uh, right now. There's it's always been crazy. I mean, I try to. I wouldn't want to be around in the Middle Ages. I probably was. Yeah, the Middle Ages wouldn't be so bad. I think about. 
you know, women who, who oh, cave women who didn't have Tampax. Sure. Or I think about the Holocaust, and I think about Auschwitz, and I think about people who will survive and not survive. Well, and Auschwitz happens all over the world all the time. All not the time. That. It's happening right here in our country, yeah. caging uh, children in Mexico. It in, happens in, everywhere. In, yeah, anywhere there is power, yeah. there is corruption of yeah. power. Well, it's, it's going to change. From your lips to it's the going university. to change because uh, when I was watching the uh, candidates, mm. I saw diversity mm -hmm. for the first time. Mm. And here in Boston, there were uh, six candidates that were sworn in finally as city council people, and I have a lot of uh, connections to politics in Boston in supporting affordable housing and stuff like that that I'm doing right now. But uh, I, w I watched them being sworn in. One of them is a council person in my neighborhood who was on a board of mine for affordable housing. She's gay, and she's not even from America. <laughs> she's from Ireland, and she won by going door-to-door, -door, hands on, and she won by a couple of thousand votes over the male white candidate who looked like the shoe-in with enormous amounts of money and backing from the unions. Mm -hmm. And that fascinated me because it gave me uh, a very different perspective. And there, are, there were Latinos sworn on, and, and, and women of brown and black, and women, and, and, one, and my, my candidate, you know, wearing pants, and she's a woman wearing pants. And, and oh, my God. It, it excited me. And I looked at this photo, and I went, wow, here's hope mm. for, for things changing mm -hmm. in the world. And um, maybe not in the it's round. It's a long climb up the mountaintop. Yeah, but I, I'm living to see that, mm -hmm. and it's refreshing, so there's hope there. Mm -hmm. But on a day-to-day -day basis, life is hard. It is hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, it's hard. It's, it's a burden, for sure. But when, um, when people take their own lives, I'm not going to lie, part of me goes, oh, God, they're so brave. You know, it's a weird thought to mm -hmm. have, but I think... You took it, you took life into your hands, your own hands, you took control. And, you know, it can be, life can be overwhelming. And I get it. But I also get, for me, that tomorrow is also coming and I don't have any clue what that looks like. And so if I can just get to that, you know, and we never get to tomorrow. It's it's always in the future, right? You're You're only ever looking toward it. So... As long as you don't have the crystal ball that tells you exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, you still have something, the unknown, that's exciting. And possibilities abound. So that's where I try to head. Did you grow up in California? No. Oh. Why? It's such a California thing you just said. Oh, is it? <laughs> In Boston, nobody would understand what you say. <laughs> what? Trust me, I am used to people not understanding what I say. Um, <laughs> I've spent a lifetime no, doing that. No, it, there's a cynicism. Uh, oh, an East Coast cynicism. East, East Coast cynicism. Sure, uh, okay. I understand that. And, and I, I know who Bill Burr is. I know. Who? <laughs> Bill Burr. He's a comic from the East Coast. It's oh, right. Very okay. cynical. Yeah. Very funny, very cynical. Yeah, but I mean, in, in Boston, when you uh, ask somebody how they are, they say, who wants to know? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah, it's a different, and I would different say, culture. I want to know. 
Yeah. <laughs> because that I'm a nosy. <laughs> that doesn't mean people aren't good in Boston, I have to oh, say. Oh, of course. I have some dear friends from yeah, Boston. They hold the cards close to their chest. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But um, where I've experienced um, the, the health of a human being is, and I did this with my clients when they would come to me, um, what are you doing outside of yourself to make a difference in the world? Mm. Because if you're not in practice of making a difference in the world, there is no benefit to your life. That's my personal mm -hmm. philosophy. Mm -hmm. You have to be out there. If you're complaining about it, what are you doing about it? Mm -hmm. I'm with you there, too. I think that when you are in service to others, it gives you very little time to focus on your own ego. Yeah, <laughs> ego and uh, self-righteousness and uh, self-destruction mm -hmm. because you're busy. Well, so when people are going into food banks or to, um, you know, various areas of where there are people less fortunate, mm -hmm. um, or to go to a cancer ward, I mean, you sure. know, go to go to Children's Hospital in Boston. Well, there's right? a lot of pain and self-loathing and narcissism, and when you're, and it's perhaps tough for people to crawl out of that hole as well. I don't know because narcissism. It's just a word that we've established to our own opinions about self-preservation. I, I mean, I, yeah. I, that's what I'm, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. It's, it's the root yeah. of pain and, and whatever. Yeah. I don't issue. know. You talk to a narcissist and say, are you in pain? They say, no, why? I'm fine. It's you I'm not interested in. <laughs> I'm not interested in your pain. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. I have a question for you yes, because yeah. Josh said, make okay. sure you ask uh -oh. her about Garfunkel. Oh, that's crap. Come on! That's nothing. I was a high school kid, and he was my math tutor. I think that's so cool. Why? I don't know, because he has great hair. <laughs> he has no hair. I saw now. him two months ago. Now he has no hair, but back then, he had great hair. Yeah. He had horrifying hair. I love My it. mother wanted to know why I wouldn't go out with him. And I said, did you see his hair? Oh, I love that. Right. See, he was way ahead of his time. <laughs> he was. It wasn't about his hair. Oh, sure. br brilliant guy. Brilliant, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great, 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 Odd. great. Yeah, so he was your math tutor? Two years. So fascinating. Geometry, algebra, very patient. And you stay in contact? No. No. You no. said you ran into him. Just well, I didn't run into him. I bought tickets to his show oh. in Boston. Okay. Did he like, Did he go backstage and say, do you remember me? He used to yeah. teach me math. But it wasn't, it wasn't a good time. Oh, yeah. He was obviously stressed. Hmm. Sure. I'm not sure why, but well. I think that I think that at some, he he's clearly needing to perform. When you're a performer, you need to. It yeah. doesn't go away. It does not. Sadly, it's, it's a if sickness. It, <laughs> if it goes away, you feel like you're dead. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. You know, statement. so I I guess that's where he's at with it. I don't know. It was a small venue, not a lot of mm -hmm. people. Do you believe in reincarnation? No. No. What does that mean? I don't know. Reincarnation what that means. meaning that you. No, I know what it oh, means, oh, but I, I mean, okay. how would we know? I, it's a good question. I mean, I have thought about it. I, I always say, if I, if I, um, if I come back in another lifetime, I want to marry a guy who knows how to massage my feet and do the plumbing. That's my, a good combo. Fix my toilet because sure. plumbers make so much money. They they do. And I joke about that, you know, but that's it's uh, a good union. <laughs> no, but you know, um, death is uh, getting closer because that's the reality, and we don't talk enough about it. And um, but 
all you can do basically when you realize that you're coming closer to the end is there's a sadness that uh, a lot of people in my age group have because we're realizing we're coming closer. My friend said to me the other day, and I feel the same way, I just feel there's something else I was supposed to have been doing to make a difference in the world, you know, to, to make that impact. And uh, I don't know what, what the measurement is for impact. And we, we'll never know because we'll be dead. And then when they come to the funeral to talk about the impact, uh, I won't know it, but they will. Yeah. You know, I, I have made an impact with people, sometimes not so good. <laughs> do you have big regrets? I do. You do? Oh, of course. You can't be human and not have regret. Terrible regrets. Do you oh. feel like you've done the things you wanted to do, other than the thing you feel like, like your friend said, that there's maybe something else, but in general? Yes. I, I missed the boat on so many occasions <laughs> that of what, I, what my hopes and dreams were. The hopes and dreams you have when you're young, mm -hmm. and then life takes you, and you make choices. And some of my choices were not good choices, and uh, some were better. Josh was kind enough to remind me the other day of a couple of choices I made with him, but um, I regret I could have been a better mom, better person, you know, than whatever it is I was. Uh, you, you'd look at that, you know, you look at, uh, it would be arrogant of me to say that I um, haven't hurt people or touch people in a way that threw them off and so I mean I could I'm a powerful person and pow I didn't own that didn't understand that and now finally I'm starting to understand I could walk into a room and not say a word and the room will divide up and half the room won't like me and half the room will love me so when I was with a Bhagwan therapist in a room with other therapists in a training, I stood up and said this many years ago. I don't understand why I could walk into a room and people would divide up. And he said, well, this is very obvious. I said, my way. I felt so vulnerable standing up. There were 60 other shrinks in the room and then there was me being honest about what I felt was a lot of pain for me because I wanted people to, all the people to love me. And he said, you're in the wrong room. You should be in the room with the people who love you and get rid of the people who don't. You're just not in the right room. <laughs> you need to be, because of your energy, you need to be with people who will match your energy. And that, I think, in the bottom line, is where I've been searching, to be with people who get it about who I am. And the rest, I can no longer be attached to wanting to change their mind. They will never change their mind. I have heard so many uh, discussions about me in the background. Yeah, oh, well, you know, she's Jewish, what do you expect? Yeah, or uh, she has the big house on the block, so she must be rich. Nobody knows behind the scenes how that happened. Nobody understands that. They make assumptions. Hmm. And people make assumptions about me all the time because I'm verbal and I'm, uh, you know, whatever that is that I am. And based on where they're coming from, they're going to size me up so that they get to be right. Nobody ever sees you for you. They see you for how they are about themselves. That's yes. correct. So they get to be right yeah, in their the opinions. Yeah. But then there are those few people who really like me and see me for who I am. Yeah. 
and that's refreshing. Mm. Do you believe in a higher power or whatever that means to you? Or, Well, I'm Jewish, so we don't have uh, a Jesus, and we don't have a God up in heaven with a long beard that Michelangelo depicted on the Sistine Chapel. That's not us. Uh, we are about the philosophy, and we are about the law. You, know, you study the law. Hmm. You know, but then there's this hopefulness, and that's in Hashem. And uh, that, that hopefulness could live inside you or not inside you. Uh, it's hard to describe as a Jew to people outside of that, that you don't have to, like, the God that we're with is not the God of, out of uh, Mary. I found it interesting. I went to the Nativity uh, performance in Boston with... Um, friends and I'm watching the nativity and they did a beautiful job of it on the you know musical and chorus and Joseph and and they, the baby and I'm I'm saying to myself this is so strange to me because it was around christmas time and I've experienced antisemitism on various levels in my own life throughout the years and I said so strange to me that they're they're celebrating a jewish boy and uh, the three, uh, whoever they were, come with the gifts, right? If they, those three guys were women, they would be coming with a breast pump, and they'd be coming with diapers, and you know, they'd be coming <laughs> with somebody to give them some relief so they could get some sleep. And, <laughs> and they're celebrating a Jewish boy. And the Jewish boy that everybody celebrates, they've taken the last 2,000 years and tried to annihil annihilate his relatives. I don't get it. Hmm. I'm one of his relatives. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, human beings are... In the name of Christianity. Sure, sure, sure. Humans are tricky. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm often tickled. You know, I know that's a terrible word to use, but when people, uh, you know, talk about Jesus, you know, as a Christian, all that, I say, you know, he, he was Jewish. He right, was they Jewish. get very uncomfortable. Middle Eastern Jewish person. Yeah. <laughs> it's... You have but, to remind that. Yeah. 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 But that's okay because not all Christian. I mean, not, oh, no. my I, friends are, not, I have mostly Christian friends in my life. Yeah, I'm and talking about a few people. Most the ones people who are the it. true believers who I had, I have some wonderful, wonderful Mormon friends in, in Boston. And I have said to them on many occasions, I know you want me. <laughs> I know you want me, but I don't have good teeth the way you do. You have great teeth. <laughs> they laugh. Very attractive people. Yeah. I, I, I know a handful of Mormons that are all quite gorgeous, actually. Yeah. Got good They genes. all look like Mitt Romney. Yeah, they're all very handsome people. That's smart. Uh, Barbara. Part of it is because they have their community. What's your next act? What are you doing? My next act, that's good. Podcasting. Okay. Yeah. And what's the podcast going to be about? It's called <laughs> Who Wants to Know? <laughs> <laughs> a little Boston in there. Well, yeah, it'll be about Boston, and it will be about the cultural uh, maneuverings uh, in Boston, because my experience of Boston over the last few years, uh, since I've been living there almost 40 years now, um, coming back, coming from Charlottesville and New York, where people talk to each other, um, in a way that when you walk on the street in, in, in a southern town, and you're walking on the street, people say hello. Mm. They ask you how you are, and they want to know how you are. And in Boston, it's just different. It's very, um, it's still, even with a, the infiltration of outsiders, it's still very, very um, pilgrim-like <laughs> <laughs> in their 
approached. Maybe it's the weather. I don't. I don't know. I don't think so because I spent a lot of time in Vermont and Maine, and people aren't like that. So it must be Boston, or in the outskirts of it. Um, good people, but tough to crack. Mm-hmm. And um, so my podcast is going to be about pulling people in. I, there's a lot. Of, we have. We are now in the. Um, we're now in the throes of the dispensaries, like out here in L.A. And um, the pot, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's an interesting subject, right there. Who, how, how many different pot places are there going to be in the, in the, in the area, and for what reason, and why, and how, and and uh, then there's affordable housing. There's a tremendous amount of development going up. And I started a. I started a coalition with a group of friends uh, fighting the mayor on affordable housing because our area that I live in is getting highly developed with international investors for very high prices so people can't afford to live mm-hmm. where they work. And then the infrastructure of Boston has broken down in terms of transportation. So it's um, an interesting place right now. So who wants to know, we'll be bringing in, uh, hopefully, people to talk about the different um, aspects of what's happening in the world around them. Mm-hmm. And how, if people listening want to find you, where would they go to find you? Do you have a website? Do you have an email that they can reach out to? Instagram, Facebook, any sure. of that stuff? Bar- well, I'm on Facebook, but moss one at Mac.com. Okay. I'm good with that. All right. As long as I don't have any they have questions strange... Or- yeah, Lots they want to come have a have a discussion <laughs> with me at a podcast in Boston. We have uh, right down the road from where I live a wonderful studio, and uh, training people in podcasting all the time over there, and uh, see see what happens. I'm sure. still I'm still in the sure the workings of it because what happens with podcasts you have to uh, focus on a particular piece of it. If it gets too broad, people sure. don't necessarily want to. It's hang a in lot there. of work. I do all of this myself. Uh-huh. It's a lot of work. Although my best friend Ellen helps me with the the posters for social media. Shout out Ellen. Got to say her name at least mm-hmm. every episode. Um, and I and of course people that donate are huge helps. And you all know who you are. Um, and but it's a lot. It takes a lot to keep a podcast going. Yeah. It's You're very running time, your own company. Yeah, it's very time consuming. But my God, is it worth it? Just sitting down and having yeah. chats with people is. Right. It's it's incredible. When I was in radio and I had my contact pro- pro- program in Charlottesville, uh, I once had a, a woman on, though I realize now she was maybe just a few years older than I am right now, and I promoted that as uh, all you wanted to know about sex, too afraid to ask. And I had a young girl on, and I had this old woman on. She was fascinating, and that was a long time ago. Imagine what it's like now. Have you seen the Dr. Ruth uh, documentary? Oh. Uh, actually, there was a play in Boston, the Dr. Ruth play about her life. That documentary which is, very is moving. incredible. I watched it on a plane. I was crying. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to stop watching movies on planes because I cry yeah. too much. Yeah. <laughs> there was a one woman show uh, done of hers this mm-hmm. past year at the New Rep in Boston, and the woman was excellent in it. I love Dr. Ruth. She's fantastic. Yeah, well, she, she was a sniper in Israel. <laughs> she's a bad, I know, she's a badass. The documentary covers all that stuff. Yeah. It's, I think it's called Ask Dr. Ruth. And it's but she suffered. I fanta- mean, fantastic. one, of the, one yes. of the pieces about people who, who have trauma and suffer mm-hmm. and then take it take it into it a lot has to do with luck and where you land mm. and then reading the room and seeing whether that if there's a place for you 
in the world, in that place, and either you make that good decision or not so good decision mm -hmm. as to where you want to go with it. She made some good decisions. Yeah. You know, and helped she, a whole lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's so interesting. Today I, I, I read that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has beat pancreatic cancer. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I don't know if you know about that disease. Yeah, I do. Not a lot of people Not do. a lot of survivors. And I said, my God, she's 86 years old. This woman. She's a badass. Absolutely. <laughs> she is something to be uh, reckoned with. Absolutely. And, and also that, a tiny. <laughs> yeah, tiny and brilliant. Yes. And had a supportive husband. Yeah. Very important to have a supportive husband. If a woman wants to, a, a relationship of any kind. Yeah, it's tricky you know. relationships when you are... Uh, of her generation. Of any generation, I think, because they require a lot. And if you're already doing a lot, um, it can create uh, many problems with it. As you you know, you know, we've as a therapist, I'm mm -hmm, sure, sure you've seen this a million times before. So, yeah. Yeah. Barbara, yes, yes, you are awesome. Thank you for being on the show. Pleasure. It's so wonderful to hear these stories. So how do I how do I hear it? Uh, well, it's all it'll be all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, it's on Google Play and Spotify and iTunes and HeyHumanPodcast.com so, and all this kind of. It's it's everywhere. So, uh, so I'll send so we'll, you the links and all okay, that. great. Yeah, and Great. I'll make, Ellen, I say me, but mm -hmm. we'll make a little poster of the episode and it will go out to social media and I'll send it to you for you to post wherever you want and. Mm -hmm. All that good stuff. And if you have a reading list or anything you want uh, the listeners to, to check out or whatever, send that to me this week and I'll put it on the links page. Huh? Okay, so you're very kind. Fun. Yeah. yeah. So how often do you do this? Every week. Uh-huh. Yeah, every week. Good for you. Yeah, I started uh, July of 2016. Wow, so you're doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is great. So you're an innovator. I don't know about that, but well, twenty that's three years. The, yeah. It's now becoming much more popular than it was in twenty sixteen. Yeah, yeah. So good so, for you. Thank you. You got in on the ground floor. I got in on maybe the third step up, but oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> there are many steps since. You know, everybody thinks they can be a podcaster. Everybody can. That's the beauty of the that's internet. right. Everybody can. Yeah. And then there are those you want to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara. It's Pleasure. So Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks, Josh. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. <laughs> Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye.